smartcast you are listening to a mint production brought to you by hd smartcast can you imagine a future where only insect meat is eaten and where crickets can be raised at home or a future where all of the meat we eat is grown in a lab since its recent onset the covid-19 pandemic has altered the daily lives of millions around the world. One area particularly affected is our diets with food supply chain disruptions, media coverage of food safety issues and restaurant closures all influencing consumer dietary behavior. Given the situation, it is an important question to ask, what is the impact of the current pandemic on longer term meat consumption patterns? This issue is pertinent given accumulating evidence that overconsumption of meat particularly red meat is associated with negative environmental and health outcomes thankfully innovation across the global food system is enabling the creation of alternatives to animal sourced food in ways that have never been before possible these alternatives fall across a spectrum of categories and are focused on delivering the same cultural and sensory experience so that consumers and producers have alternatives which feel like a simple switch not a sacrifice plant based foods are made entirely from crops or plants but have the same texture and taste as meat eggs and dairy ingredients derived from fermentation such as fungi and algae show huge promise in cost competitiveness and nutrition across these categories cultivated meat for instance which consists of farming cells directly instead of farming and slaughtering animals is rapidly coming to market that one that just these smart protein categories have over legacy meat eggs and dairy are huge these are vastly more efficient to produce and start introduce the disease risk associated with livestock we are also seeing the beginnings of the industry in india with some exciting recent development but there's a long way to go yet India will be the world's most populous country, home to more than 1.4 billion people, 17% of the global population by 2030. Consumer spending will increase significantly as more Indians will move up the economic ladder. The food share of that spending alone will add up to 1.6 trillion dollars annually. At this juncture, it becomes important to ask What is the future of meat? In the latest video dispatch, we speak with Varun Deshpande, managing director at the Good Food Institute India, part of an international network of non-profits spanning India, Brazil, Israel, the US, Singapore, Greater China, UK and the EU to no more. I really want to understand that news like the open-ended question that what really are the trends that the Good Food Institute has seen in India with respect to increased preference for plant-based alternatives of meat during the pandemic and has the demand for these products really accelerated in 2020 given a heightened focus on safety and sustainability as you know we all have been sort of jolted out of our black swan blindness because of the pandemic and this increased conversation on environment sustainability gender governance climate change things like that in fact institutional investors across are pressing for these things as a mandatory item in the charter so i want to understand from you varun that do you think that the entire consciousness has increased in the wake of the pandemic and it is perhaps a more easy sell right now compared to the yesterday years 
Great question. Firstly, Srija, thank you so much for having me on again. Uh, I want to just start by saying you're right. Uh, it would be totally wonderful if all of these things were true um, and that were enough. Right? Our goal at the Good Food Institute India and our global network of nonprofit organizations is to make ourselves obsolete. We would love for this industry to take off to the extent that we would not be needed anymore. Right? Uh, and what we're talking about is plant-based uh, and other sources cultivated from cells, etc., of meat, egg, and dairy replacements that perfectly replicate the sensory and the cultural experience of meat, eggs, and dairy, the foods that many people, many of us know, love, and they fit into our heritage, right? Um, the reason that any of this is necessary to do to effect this transformation is because those foods that we love are unfortunately a source of great strain on the planet, right? So uh, a huge amount of greenhouse gas emissions, more climate change than all uh, emissions from the entire transportation sector combined, ocean dead zones, deforestation, um, ocean acidification, species loss. If we care about any of these problems, uh, then we should be looking at transforming meat, which is why we're having this conversation here today. Uh, unfortunately, everything I'm saying to you, right, and I could say a lot more, zoonotic disease, antimicrobial resistance, you know, particularly relevant in light of the conversation we're having right now during COVID-19, the COVID-19 pandemic, right? I could talk about this stuff all day, and all the people watching, you know, the, the, all the, the viewers of your show who come here to, to hear about the future, uh, it's not necessary that they would just switch away from eating meat, eggs, and dairy, because those products are delicious. Um, they, they're filled with protein. Uh, and in a place like India, where incomes are rising all the time, they are also a source of aspiration and status for so many of us in the population, right? So the driver to switch away, the knowledge about all of the things that I've just mentioned, right, about the pandemic, about the impacts on the planet, about the latest documentary like Game Changers or David Attenborough's recent documentary. All of this stuff is certainly going up over time, but we do need the other side. We need to be able to satisfy that demand in different ways, right? In ways that feel like a simple switch, not a sacrifice. Otherwise, we'll just go back to doing what we did before and continue to scale up this factory farming system with all of the attendant problems. So where we are today is we have dozens of entrepreneurs, including some quite high profile ones, making some of these products, plant-based meats that have all the sizzle, the taste, the, 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 the specific, um, the cultural resonance. So like kheemas, kebabs, biryanis for India. And they're going to come to market soon over the next month. So you may have seen Ritesh and Janilia Deshmukh are starting a company called Imagine Meats, which we're working with them on. Um, Sandeep Singh, the MD of Alchem Labs, which is like a $5 billion publicly listed company, also started a company in this space. You know, dozens of entrepreneurs just like them are bringing products to market, but we need possibly hundreds more, right? And we need to help those companies scale up if we're going to be able to satisfy that demand and make it seem like a simple switch and not a sacrifice. Parun, thanks for this. But I think, you know, what really you're talking about, I think is very beautifully leader, what you just said that Shrija, uh, you know, we have, a unique situation in India, if you will. Great consumption story where almost every brand is after to seduce. You know, meat, eating meat for non-vegetarian eaters is aspirational, very correctly pointed out. So why don't you have takers from large food conglomerates? Why don't you see an ITC getting into it? Why don't we see the large incumbents getting into it? Because what you are talking about is disruption of a large industry, which ultimately affects them negatively. Do you think the way upstarts have disrupted or appended industries, the meat industry can be appended 
or disrupted by the upstarts that you mentioned or perhaps in the future to come is that really a possibility that one can expect it's a great question and frankly um my hope is that some of these large corporations also get into this space as soon as possible um and i think the best way to answer this question is to also offer a couple of cases if you look at the the companies that are at the vanguard of this space internationally there are two in the plant based meat realm that that really shot ahead because they took the early risk and did all of the early research uh, they're called impossible foods and beyond meat right beyond meat came out with both of them sell burgers that's their flagship product because uh, americans eat three beef burgers a week on average which is just horrendous for the planet um so they they both said look this is a, an easy target for us we're going to get in and we're going to perfectly replicate that beef burger so if an american is at a backyard barbecue or a baseball game it's not going to feel like a sacrifice right so right down to when it sizzles it it, it emits the same aroma as a beef burger all of that stuff right it's it's really really cool the way that, what they've achieved now if you swap out one beyond burger from beyond meat the company with any one of those three beef burgers that americans are eating a week on average right it would be the equivalent of taking 12.2 million cars off the road or powering 2.3 million additional homes this is where the planet needs to go right this is what we're seeing in terms of everyone from the un the intergovernmental panel on climate change the eat lancet commission the food and land use coalition all the institutional investors you just referenced are all saying this is where the planet needs to go which is why when beyond meat went public on the new york stock exchange last year it went like it was a pop i don't know which direction this is on your screen but it was it went really really high up right one of the most successful uh, listings in decades uh, and now today they're probably valued at a significant fraction if not close to the entire valuation of america's largest conventional meat producer we've seen this in other industries right tesla is now worth more than the, the next five automakers combined so this is a technology story a growth story internationally and we hope this will happen in india as well right we hope that um what happened let's say elsewhere where large companies saw beyond meat and impossible foods taking off and now 9 out of the top 10 us meat producers are invested in plant based meat companies or have started their own plant based meat lines we hope that will happen in india and we hope it will happen sooner rather than later so you mentioned about two companies beyond meat and impossible foods i mean they're both great stories and i think it is i think an accepted norm that institutional investors are rewarding entrepreneurs who are thinking about sustainability and climate change from the beginning in fact uh, there's a premium to these kind of initiatives and that is actually my concern you know because i have seen the story play out a few years back also especially in the energy space where everything was labeled green just for the sheer interest of getting money on board everything was green washed so i just hope that this is this does not turn out to be a fad just to attract you know investors interest just because the entire no uh, narrative and the conversation on sustainability is just so high right now uh, so you know what is your view there you know because why is it that this is not becoming as mainstream as possible despite beyond me being such a successful pop in the us i mean there has to be some uh, some blockade there yeah that's so that those are two great questions i think rolled into one the first one that i want to address is i i do think this is different because it's food it's very personal it's very subjective and it's a much smaller purchase usually than um being than making a purchase that relates to your energy right i mean there's big infrastructure shifts that need to happen for our industry as well 
But certainly on energy, uh, in order for it to reach the consumer, there's a lot more that needed to happen in order for it to move forward, right? And that's why you see the renewable energy industry absorbing literally hundreds of billions of dollars a year, right? Uh, in order to get to the point where it is today, and it'll keep absorbing more money and it'll keep moving forward in that way. With food, uh, a lot of this stuff is, yeah, initially it gets sold at a premium, but it's still a slight, it's an affordable premium. And when you scale these products, uh, they very rapidly go to like mask USR, Burger King, McDonald's, etc. So I would argue internationally, it's totally mainstream. The second part of your question, in India, in order for it to go mainstream, we need a few things to happen quite rapidly. And this is kind of where we come in at, at the Good Food Institute India. But you need um, a talent pool, right? You need investors aligned. You need, obviously, the entrepreneurs. You need government support, whether it's in the form of research grants, regulatory, university courses, etc. You need infrastructure shifts, right? You need to be able to have the labs and the, the infrastructure facilities to be able to manufacture this stuff. All of these pieces need to be built up, probably in parallel. And that's kind of what we focus on at GFI India. It's, it's a long-running story. I think this is a, a decade-long story, but it is an essential one, right? Like you said, um, we've seen this kind of greening story before. But at this point in history, I don't think we have a choice. This is a pretty critical decade, the next one. And we've had a very, very big reminder of, of what's going to happen. We've seen pandemic refugees this year all over the country, right? People who are walking hundreds of kilometers to get home to their villages because everything was disrupted. I think this is going to happen again with climate crises if we're not careful. So as long as we work as hard as we can to install all of these pieces, talent pools, infrastructure, entrepreneurship, government support, etc. We can get there. We can make it mainstream, but it'll take some time to do that. Now, Arun, tell me a little about uh, this entire idea of the meatless meat. You know, how really does it get there? Uh, you know, just for a layman, if you will, I mean, do you really produce the meat in the lab? I mean, how does it really taste? I mean, there's there's number of different approaches to this industry of, of alternative protein. Or actually, we in India like to call it smart protein because it's a term that seems to resonate with a lot of people. Um, there's plant-based foods, right? Plant-based meats are made from uh, ingredients like pea protein or soy protein, uh, coconut oil, beetroot juice, etc. Uh, things that come from plant or crop ingredients. But as I've said before, they are not your grandparents' soya chaat, right? They're very, very much next generation, right? When you when you taste them, it it evokes meat. It's it's perfectly like meat. It replicates that sensory experience. So that's one way of doing it. Um, and that approach came from those companies, Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods, uh, finding a lot of research in universities and really coming to the realization that everything that is in animal meat, okay, which is um, lipids, fats, amino acids, proteins, water, minerals, all of these things are contained in plants also. But plants, if we use them, would be much, much more efficient. It would be like cutting out the middle animal. The reason being that you were saying earlier about greenwashing and stuff like that, this is fundamentally a paradigm shift, which would be very hard to greenwash because uh, a chicken, if you and I were eating a chicken, that chicken actually takes in nine calories of input in the form of those same crops, soy, corn, wheat, etc., to give you one calorie of output in the form of flesh, in the form of meat. And that's actually instinctive, right? Like you and I are sitting here right now, we are burning calories as we speak. We don't really need to grow the entire chicken you know, 45 days to grow the chicken, you have to feed it antibiotics, in some cases hormones, just to keep them healthy. The conditions aren't the best. These are all the pressures that exist, not just on the consumer and what they're eating, but also on the producer, right? 
that's how you get all of these issues of zoonotic disease, etc. So instead of that, Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods, all these companies around the world, including in India, said all of this stuff is contained in plants. Let's take those plants and let's process them together. Let's texturize them to give you the texture of meat and the taste of meat. Right? It's like cutting out the middle animal entirely. So you don't need to cycle all those calories through an animal. Just get them directly from a plant. Um, there are other approaches. So your viewers may have seen, you know, savvy folks that are keeping abreast of this industry may have seen that uh, very recently, a couple of weeks ago, cultivated meat, that is meat that's grown directly from cells, was approved for sale for the first time anywhere in the world uh, in Singapore. This is another category entirely where uh, instead of, again, instead of growing the animal, you take the cells from the animal. So if you want to produce chicken meat, you could take chicken cells. You want to produce uh, pomfret, bangada, whatever the fish is, you take those cells. In fact, you could get heritage meats this way, right? Like a Kadaknath chicken cell, and then you cultivate the Kadaknath chicken breast from it, which is really cool. Uh, so this is another category. There are about you know dozens of companies all over the world doing this as well. Uh, so there are different approaches to doing it. I mean, it's uh, it's really fascinating. It's a whole slew of innovation and possibilities. That's very fascinating to hear. Pavran, tell me, and I think it's kind of an offbeat question. I think in a country like ours, and I think it's unique in various ways, I think we take out of pride my diversity, but there are few things uh, which are mired in cultural controversy from time to time, and beef is one of the most important topic there. This entire idea of replicating uh, cow meat, which is essentially such a revered and religious figure in a country like ours, uh, which is a great tradition in history, I mean, how do you think that you're sort of playing with fire here really i mean what do you think just in terms of uh not appealing to sophisticated who perhaps understand where we are headed but the sensibility and the cultural values for the mainstream and how do you mean to address those yeah so to be clear i mean i think this is this really depends on local considerations anywhere in the world right so you're not going to um, take a type of meat that people aren't used to or don't want to eat in a certain part of the world and, and make them eat it, right? If you're if you're making a plant-based meat in India, I think the first port of call has to be chicken or mutton. And then there are a lot a lots of seafood that come into it. And even those are, seafood is also a new behavior for many people, right? Aside from the coast, aside from Mumbai uh, and, and places like it, like if you go into the north, seafood is something that people are still discovering, which is cool. Um, so I don't think I I really don't think beef would be the 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 meat of choice for people to produce whether plant based or cultivated etc. But I will say this: look, um, slaughter and religious divides and all of that we're not going to solve religious divides. These are deep seated cultural, like you said, um, issues that have persisted for millennia and they might persist in the future as well. But what we can do is think about this as an opportunity to provide affordable, sustainable protein that cuts across cultural divides and that can get us, no matter what level of the socioeconomic pyramid we are, to a better place in terms of the efficiency of our food system and its impact on the planet. Because if you and I go to Dharavi is uh, three kilometers in that direction for me. If we go to Dharavi right now and we talk to a family of four, they will tell us that they're eating one mutton meal a week for 460 rupees, all right? And it's great because it, it's tasty, it brings people together, it's a symbol of status and affluence like we discussed. And if they could, they absolutely would eat two mutton meals a week for 920 rupees. So I'm saying let's make it possible for everyone to have all the meat that they want made in a much more efficient and sustainable way without harming the planet. But it has to taste great. It has to taste perfectly like what they want. And what about the price points? Is it more expensive? 
Uh, so our, if I had to sum up everything I'm saying to you right now, Shrija, our whole spiel, our whole mantra is tastes the same or better and costs the same or less. This is where we have to get. For all the types of meat that we're talking about, for every you know setting that it's served in, um, and the good news is I think it's possible, right? In fact, I think where we're going to go, maybe this will take a long time, 10, 15 years, even the most luxury of meats, like a bluefin tuna, which is like $5,000 per pound by weight. We don't really get it in India, but $5,000 by pound of weight, because this is a wild species that people have to go and hunt, which leads to all kinds of problems, right? It's now at like 3% of its ideal population levels in the Pacific Ocean, because you can't farm that fish and it's too large. It's like 800 pounds by weight. It's so expensive. Let's get that down to the price where everyone can afford bluefin tuna. High quality meat, affordable, sustainable for everyone. I think we can get there. Okay, thanks, Varun. Thanks for that. My last question to you, Ali, is a quick wrap up. You have to give me like large three trends to finding the future of the food industry. What would those really be? So certainly alternative protein or plant-based, if you look at internationally, it's like the leading edge of innovation in food. Uh, that's definitely one. Uh, another one that's really interesting um, is what you mentioned earlier. I think cleaner labels, right? Cleaner labels. So fewer ingredients on the label, et cetera. That's one where consumers are saying perhaps we want cleaner labels. So like I said, I think that'll, that approach will start playing into our industry as well. And then finally, I think nutrient density or functional foods or immunity dense foods, those kinds of things. I mean, this is obvious now to everyone watching this, but especially in light of COVID-19, that has really taken off in a place like India and it creates its own sort of challenges, right? We have to get better and better at evaluating those claims and all of that stuff. So uh, these are three mega trends, right? Nutrient density, uh, clean label, and then alternative protein or plant-based are huge trends. And you'll see the, the intersection of all of these as well, which is kind of cool. So you might have um, in the future, maybe five, seven years from now, alternative protein products that are um, you know, the label only has like five ingredients on it or six ingredients on it instead of 11, which is where we might be today. And then they would be packed with nutrients, um, ashwagandha and, and turmeric and all of the good stuff that we already know really well in India. That, that would be really cool, I think. Thanks, Varun. Thank you for that and taking us a tour for the future of the food industry. Perhaps one can really hope that by 2025, we are closer to the execution and the plan that you have laid out. Thank you for joining in, Varun. And it was my sheer pleasure and privilege to have this conversation with you. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And thank you so much. Thank you, Srija. Take care. Have a good day. This was a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.